Trek Companion podcast. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. This is uh, episode 36 of our Star Trek podcast. And today we're going to be discussing Deep Space Nine's sixth season uh, episodes Favor the Bold, Sacrifice of Angels, You Are Cordially Invited, and Resurrection. And uh, for the first two, Favor the Bold and Sacrifice of Angels, which conclude the opening six-episode arc of the season, we are going to discuss uh, these episodes as one. Let's do it. Favor the Bold and Sacrifice of Angels, Season 6, Episodes 5 and 6, Production Numbers 529 and 530, Original Air Dates, October 27th and November 3rd, 1997. Both episodes written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, the first directed by Winrick Colby and the second directed by Alan Croker. Music composed in Favor the Bold by Jay Chataway and by David Bell and Sacrifice of Angels. Guest casts include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Mark Alamo as Gold Ducat, Max Gradanchi as Rom, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, J.G. Hertzler as Martok, Melanie Smith as Torreziel, Casey Biggs as Damar, Chase Masterson as Lita, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, William Wellman Jr. as Bajoran Officer, Bart McCarthy as Admiral Coburn, Erica Klein as Admiral SeaTac, Andrew Palmer as Jim Hadar Soldier, Darren Cooper as Cardassian Officer, and Salome Jens as Female Shapeshifter. Cisco learns that the minefield will be destroyed within a week allowing thousands of Dominion troops and ships to come through the wormhole and flood the Alpha Quadrant. To counter, Cisco launches a plan to retake Deep Space Nine using a task force comprised of hundreds of starships throughout Starfleet. Outnumbered two to one by the Dominion fleet, Cisco must punch a hole in the vast fleet to get to DS9 in time to stop Gul Dukat from destroying the minefield. The Defiant is the only ship to get through the Dominion line with the help of the Klingon reinforcements. But Sisko is too late. Upon his arrival at the station, we see the minefield exploding. Grimly, Sisko exercises his only remaining option and takes the Defiant into the wormhole to face the Dominion on his own. Inside the Celestial Temple, will the Prophets allow Sisko to continue on his course of action? I feel sorry for them. They need our guidance, Odo, not our pity. They cherish their freedom. We'll have to break them of that. Break them? In a manner of speaking. Oh, this language of the solids, it's so imprecise. Well, one heck of a way to finish out the <laughs> sixth episode arc. By the way, to our listeners, I'm sorry if my voice is a little off. I'm coming out of a cold, so... Sorry about that. Um, <coughs> and also, sorry for all coughing. You need um, a cough button, Brian. I do. Oh, that's right. I totally need a cough button. Um, so, you know, my, let me just start off by saying my favorite thing about these episodes, and not just these episodes, but this whole six-episode arc, which I, you know, in our last ep- uh, podcast, I discussed, we all discussed quite a bit about this this first effort of Star Trek to do a such a long you know episodic uh, arc um so i'll skip uh, discussing that in, in so much detail but but these two episodes are the the conclusion of that um what i like so much about this is <laughs> just as a star trek fan these episodes feel important mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's it's really neat it's like um they're, they're kind of they're kind of two aspects to the last couple of seasons of, of DS9. 
Okay. And, and this is right now we're kind of really starting all this stuff. One, they feel, they feel important because there's so much going on that has so much of an effect on all the rest uh, of the quadrant and, and, and indeed all of Star Trek at this time. And then two, in a weird sort of way, they feel more contemporary than any other Star Trek period. And that's probably because, you know, this is, I've talked before about the difference between a Trekkie and a Trekker. As a Trekker, I go on a journey. I want to know what's going on in the universe. And these last couple seasons of uh, DS9 really are um, um, the most the, the, the most current feeling of any, the most current activity that happens in Star Trek that we get to see, right? Voyager takes place, you know, Voyager was made after this show, but it was mostly in a totally different quadrant. We saw very, we saw a little bit into the Alpha Quadrant, but we saw very little, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. For the most mm-hmm. part, this was our eye on modern times in Star Trek, you know? Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and then of course the next Star Trek series being Enterprise, which went even farther back, and, I think that that helps it feel important to me and it helps it feel exciting. Um, and I know that's not much of an analysis of the episodes and we're going to get to all that, but it's what makes it so exciting when I watch it. And it's what makes me take it so seriously, you know, because it speaks to that inner hardcore trekker that I am, the, the person that is participating in this podcast because he loves talking about Star Trek with his friends, you know, and I don't get that so much from, from a one-off episode of a Voyager that, that takes place 70,000 light years away or from an episode of, you know, Enterprise that, you know, in a way I know has no effect on the future because I've already seen the future from Enterprise, you know, Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not saying that's not those things. I'm just saying why this in particular uh, is so satisfying to me as a Star Trek fan. And that's an explanation um, that I don't think people that are not Star Trek fans could understand. I don't think they're not going to, like more hardcore fans are the ones that are going to understand my point. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I can explain this in, in a way that, that it would make sense um, to somebody that hasn't followed a fair amount of Star Trek. Um, I definitely agree with you. We see something historic in these episodes. I'm all throughout Star Trek, whatever series it is up to this point. We hear about wars or we hear about historic events that, mm-hmm. you know, have been written into to Star Trek, but you really don't see them. I mean, you see things kind of on a more of a small scale. I mean, you know, the Enterprise yeah. saving the world is not really a small scale, but... It's, no, I know what you mean, but, but here we see it, yeah. You get to see it, and... um. And this is the first time we get to see, we always hear about these wars, but we never really, we've never seen one. And this is the first time you get to see a real full on, full on war. Was it safe to say that the battle at the beginning of Sacrifice of Angels is the biggest we've seen? Certainly yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Even, even from the movies. I mean, this is bigger than, I don't know, what's the biggest in the movies? The opening of First Contact, maybe? Probably. Um, mm-hmm. This yeah. is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, guess, I guess the closest maybe you could cut. What was it? Um, when the Borg invaded and in the next gen—that was probably the biggest war scenes we saw in that. But that, we, even then, it was the aftermath. Yeah, it was well, aftermath. Five nine, we didn't really see. Well, unless you unless you count the opening of DS nine. But <laughs> um, well, some of that's yeah, technology improves where we can. Yeah. See so one things, thing they yeah. did here was these scenes are the battle scenes in this episode for the first time 
every ship in there is CG. I don't think they've done that before, but every ship in there is CG. Um, it's one of those things that now because of because of the new stuff they're doing with next gen my brain and when i'm watching these now i'm thinking so what's going to happen if and when we get those hd versions of ds9 you know they're going to have to complete you know they're going to have to do this stuff totally from scratch it's going to <laughs> even if they try their hardest to make it look the same it's going to have to look a little different right mm-hmm. right right um, you know un- unlike uh before when it was there were models that were shot on film which can be easily translated to HD. Here we have computer effects work that was completely rendered out in standard definition um, 15 years ago. So they would have to do it again, is my point. (laughs) Anyway, so it is a pretty exciting um, battle. You can tell that the producers, the writers, went out of their way to actually kind of write into the script part of a battle strategy. You know, this whole bit about... um, uh, breaking the Cardassian ships off of the, the front or the line there so that they can, you know, have a hole and get through. It's, it's a, it's a small little narrative thing, but it's significant. You know, it's not mm-hmm. that usually the battle is like just a bunch of ships shooting at each other. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're, that makes it a little more interesting. It gives it a, gives it enough of a thread that, you know, this, this takes up two stinking episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also pretty unusual. Now they they didn't originally uh, plan for this to be two episodes. It just they they ended up, ended up not being able to contain it into one episode, and that's why it became two. I, I have a quick quick question before we move on from this. Um, have we seen and looking back at all like sci-fi, have we ever seen any kind of like space battle like this other than say Star Wars, obviously on TV? Is this like a, the first big? So this. Yeah, um, I have a hard time picturing that. You know, yeah, it's I would, that's yeah, that'd be hard to to research, kind of. But I suspect that would be the case. I mean, this you know, at the time, this you know, DS Nine, the Star Trek universe was the the big thing that had the most resources and so forth in terms of sci-fi shows. Yeah. And I would say it was this is probably the biggest, the first big thing like this period on no TV. No offense in any way to people that are fans of Babylon Five, but you know, Babylon Five being the a show that was made totally contemporary with with Deep Space Nine, right? Mm-hmm. And if, to me, if you watch the special effects work on Babylon Five compared to DS 9s I mean, it's not even comparable. Mm-hmm. It, it it looks like a it looks like a, I don't know, a '90s computer game mm-hmm. to me. It doesn't doesn't hold up the way, you know. DS9s. There's a reason DS9 waited so late to go CG. You know, they didn't do it until they could do it and make it look like a like a yeah. feature. Yeah. You know, if they'd done it years earlier, like some other shows did to save money, it would have looked like you know would have really dated it. Hmm. But anyway. <laughs> So let's get into the nitty gritty here. Um, oh, only because we were just talking about the battles. I gotta say, <laughs> like the opening of this, the second episode with the big battle, and you're just all these shots of like huge, huge Federation um, starships blowing up and you know going into pieces and stuff. And my first thought was like, these are these are entire ships populated with nothing but red shirts. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first thought. Uh, like you just like you get transferred to that ship and you like walk onto the bridge and you're like oh crap. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, <coughs> um, 
I think it's interesting about uh, so kind of near the end of the first episode, Favor the Bold. Um, up until now, the, the you know this is the fifth of the sixth of the sixth uh, episode arc, and and we've had Odo for the last couple of episodes really under this. Well, Adam, I think you described it last time as like you know being drugged almost, right? Intoxicated so by the intoxicated. changeling. Yeah, so he he's still been under that, and he's under that for you know most of this episode, um, but. The female changeling, kind of near the end of Favor the Bold, says something about, you know, when he says, I think they're standing up above the promenade, looking down at all the solids, and Odo said something about, um, you know, they they value their freedom or something to that effect. And, and the female changeling says to Odo, we'll have to break them of that. Um, and that's the first little spark that that Odo starts to come out of this. You know, she has said this, and he's, he's trying to... Uh, He's, he's trying to so it's the first time that he's kind of seen the through line uh, which is that these solids are going to be you know we're, we're going to have to dominate them and that we do think of ourselves as because it's one thing to say it's not my problem it has nothing to do with me and it's another to say you know I'm going to enslave my friends <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know which is what the kind of think she's forced him to think about so i was kind of wondering you know we've talked about how especially with the cardassians you know they their overconfidence you know ducat's overconfidence uh, is his uh tragic flaw here and i and i kind of think that the change female changeling went too far in saying that i don't i think that <clears throat> that was the first thing she did wrong um and then the second thing was in Sacrifice of Angels, whenever she flat out tells him that Kira has just been rounded up and she's going to be executed. Um, yeah. What did she course. think he's going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's, that's my question. That's what I wanted to talk about. Now, did she think that he had, that she had him enough that she could say that? You know, did she think that he wasn't going to react the way he did and pull back from her? Save Kira, save the station, save the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, yeah, I think she, I think she did. I think she's that arrogant. And I think she also just not had not being around, you know, solids as they say, um, like Odo has his whole life or his conscious life or whatever. She just doesn't fathom it. To her, they're like bugs. You know, we're like bugs, and so she thinks, okay, Odo's got this thing, like they're little pets or something, and uh, you know, it was some convincing and being part of the link. He'll he just can get over it. Now he's got to be seeing my way. I just don't th- I think she just totally doesn't understand uh, his perspective. It was a, it was a weird thing I was thinking about. You know, because like when we initially. Saw so his his the changelings the female changelings. She talked about how they sent Odo and others like him out into the universe to learn about the universe, and it struck me that it seems like they kind of forgot that they kind of just ignore what Odo has learned from the right. solids, or or he just doesn't know how to communicate it to them even in a link. But yeah, it seems kind of weird that they they just no longer have any kind of interest of what they set out to do. You know, <laughs> they sent Odo out to to learn about people and cultures you know it's kind of the facet of star trek and and they they seem to have forgotten it i do believe her though when she says that like when she says to way the single most important thing to us here and now is to bring odo back home to the great oh, yeah. 
That's more important to us than the Alpha Quadrant itself. That's more important to us than this war. I actually do believe her when she says that, you know, and in a way, by the end of the series, um, you know, she's made a lot of statements that you're like, you know, that she is intelligent and, and she has you know, accurately predicted the way some things are going to turn out. Um, but I do, I do at least believe that that is of paramount importance to her and the rest of the Dominion. Hmm. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, one of the things I wanted to specifically talk about is uh, at the end when um, Cisco goes into uh, the wormhole and consults with prophets and the prophets uh, I guess destroy is the fair word to use uh, they destroy whatever two or three thousand Jemadar ships that are in the wormhole on their way to the Alpha Quadrant that would have of course totally tipped the war into the mm-hmm. uh, Dominion's favor um, now at the time some fans complained that this was kind of a Dex Machina kind of you know, an unfair cheat to save the day. I did not feel that way. I still don't feel that way when I watch it. It still seems like a um, a very organic thing to me. It still seems like the right and fair thing. Uh, I believe uh, that Cisco would go, at, you know, go, go out there and, you know, beg the gods you know, to help him to intercede. Um, and what makes it fair to me is that they flat out say, you know, there's going to be a price to pay. You will not find peace on, on, uh, Bajor. And, you know, and as we saw at the end of the series, this is what happens. And if, if they'd broken that, then it would have in retrospect messed this episode up for me. They didn't. Um, so I never felt like it was, it never felt like a cheat to me. I can see where the people are coming from when they say it, but that never, I never felt that way. You guys ever feel that way? What do you guys think about that? I I was more offended by the jailbreak, you know, bringing the food in than actually the the, the ends. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how many times has that been used? They couldn't come up with something a little bit more creative. So I was more offended by that than the end. They did do it differently on purpose. There wasn't anything in there. Just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but that's fair. That's fair. Okay. But no, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. Just based on everything that they've set up to this point, the relationship that Cisco has with the prophets. Um, I understand that criticism, but it didn't, it didn't bother me that the end of that. Steve. There, no, there yeah, there. I don't think it, don't, it doesn't bother me either. I think for two reasons, one, because of the way they, the way they presented it, the, you know, like you said, there's going to be a price to pay and the, and the kind of, grandiose way they staged it all you know with the whole big conversation and what's all where this is going and what's it mean and also because you know you're always rooting you're rooting for the good guys and so there's a little bit of it's just like haha in Ducat's face when they all vanish and we have to see what happens so there's a little bit of who cares how it's done <laughs> we're just we're, we're off with y'all you know so I mean that's you know. true it's not like I mean, certainly the end result of these six episodes was going to be that Cisco and crew returned to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. You know, they could have written, written this any way. They chose to do it this certain way, but no matter what, this was going to be the result. Um, I, and, it, I, and, and honestly, it is a little bit different. We've seen that, you know, we saw the station being taken by force and, you know, seven ep- several episodes ago, you know, we've seen a lot of battles at the, at the station. So, 
if they would have done that, if they would have had the battle at the at DS Nine, it would have been something that we'd already seen. This just kind of this is just different. It's more spiritual. It, you know, it falls in line with you know the the title of the of the episode. Um, and I think we tend to take take for granted that these celestial beings are godlike in a way. Yeah, they and couldn't they have done do- this to the ships had they not been in the wormhole. Am I right about that? Yes, I would assume. That was just because they were in the wormhole that they could do this. They had that and, level of control. And I yes. think that, yeah. and they set this up before, when was it there was the, the, the episode where the other emissary came through the wormhole? Yeah. Then they like send them to different time or whatever. So they've, they've demonstrated that the, the, the prophets can do things like this. So mm-hmm. it wasn't out of the blue. Um, and of course we're going to find out, I believe it's this season or is it early next season? You know, about um, Cisco's ordained birth. You know, they, they have a very good reason for refusing to let him kill himself, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, so yeah, the this, this ship comes back through, and um, yet another consequence. We talk about how we always want these shows to have more and more consequence. And so I want to make sure to point out when they do, you know, we don't want to just complain when it's not there. Um, Zial's death. Um, uh, Ducat's descent kind of, yeah, breakdown here. I like, I love that whole bit. I love how efficiently, you know, the, the Defiant comes through the wormhole and they're like, where are all the ships? You know? <laughs> and, um, and Wei Yun's like, up. Oh, Time to pack up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, the changeling says, she's kind of annoyed, but whatever. She, you know, <sighs> let's retreat to Cardassian space. Let's go, you know, whatever. And this, then, this war is going to take longer than we yep, thought. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, and, but not, but Ducat, that's it. You know, he's, he's, he's pretty much lost it. The tiny bit he's got left, he's about to lose once Zial is killed. So at the time, personally, I do remember being really shocked when she was killed. Mm-hmm. I remember being like, oh my god, I can't believe they just killed Zial. So I guess that's a testament to how effective they were the last couple of episodes of, you know, writing her in, you know, reminding me about her and her gentle ways and all these kind of things just so that it's, I felt it when she died. Um, but if Cisco is told that he will pay the price for the prophets helping him win the wormhole, um, Ducat now pays the price um, for his actions with the death of his daughter because she comes to him, asks him for help with, you know, to, to help get uh, Ram out of prison. He refuses to help. That makes her rebel to the point where she, you know, helps others break him out, right? And those people, you know, Kira, Odo now, it's, it's you know, it's a big, a big chain, right? Because, because, um, um, Kira gets arrested. Um, not only does he all have to go save him, but that is the thing that breaks Odo out of his drug state. And all these things are, are the reasons that they fight and save um, the Alpha Quadrant. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, I need to take another cough pill. Um, so, because... Ducat didn't help her. She ran the other direction, and that is the very reason that Damar kills her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's another example of Ducat kind of paying this price. So, how did you guys feel about her death? Do you remember being surprised? Did it? 
I mean, yeah, it seemed like a yeah, yeah, at the time. Mm-hmm. I think um, fair, fair thing to happen. I, well, I, I th- if you think about it as Ducat, the, the character Ducat, it was she was basically his last hold on humanity, for lack of a better word. Um, that was the only thing left good in him. I think was was his daughter and his love for her because he he did care for her in his own strange way, mm-hmm. and um her dying cuts that now you know now there's nothing to hold Ducat back from being who he is, which is quite villainous from here on out. So in a way, it it does work. It was I do recall being surprised, but it does work very well for his character and where they're going to take him. Steve. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought I thought it worked. I did, I did remember being shocked, and I also um, one thing that always struck me was I understand why they do it. I understand how it's justified given the kind of Cardassian state of mind about uh, betrayal and traitors and this kind of thing. But it does seem harsh a bit, <laughs> you know. I mean, so you know, Damar's listening. He's overhears what's going on. Said, oh, "Okay, so she deserves to die, and that's the way to get caught out of here." Boom. Okay, let's go now. You know, I mean, that's kind of him. Oh, you heard what she said. I shot her. Let's go. You know, I mean, it's hmm. it just seems a little. It does seem a bit harsh to me, I guess. But I don't know what else they would do. Does Dumar? Does Dumar? <laughs> Obviously, we we know what's going to happen with his character. He's going to come back and mm-hmm. practically save Cardassia. <clears throat> Does he in any way pay any kind of price for this action? It seems like he doesn't, right? No. No, I don't. Not really. I don't think so. No. I remember really loving just that. That's that seeing that if it, if Ducat had gone with Demar after Demar shot her, you know, mm-hmm. if Ducat had gotten away, it would have felt so off to me. It, it felt so right, and I loved it. That he's so so break broken down, you know. That we get that last scene of him, mm-hmm. you know, crumbled in the in the uh, the brig, and he hands Cisco, you know, the baseball. Um, I remember thinking, where are they going to take him from here? I have no idea. <laughs> they almost didn't have to. I mean, I'm glad they did. He was too integral to the show. But that they could have concluded his character right there. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have taken right. him off to prison, and we never saw him again. And that would have actually been satisfactory. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. Um, so we're almost out of time on this one. There were a lot of little moments that were really nice, which is what happens when you can pull it out into two episodes instead of one. I loved all the Wei Yun stuff where he's like, mm-hmm. you know, it would be nice to carry a tune or he's anal- trying to analyze <laughs> that, that piece of art, you know, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love I love seeing Kira beat the crap out of Damar. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She can. She seems to. Uh, she kind of always wins. You know, she's like the best fighter anywhere. You know, she always <laughs> yeah. wins. Even her mirror universe version can kick somebody's mouth. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anything else you guys want to talk about before we get into what it's about here? Mm. I think so. All right. Well, so so what's this about? Now, this obviously got a lot of. Th- anytime they do this sort of thing, all these different stories, and it's a two-parter, and you know, it's about a lot of things. Um, so, Steve, what do you got? Uh, I don't. No, no. There's a lot going on, but um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe um, 
maybe kind of what the like the title of the second one, sacrifice. You know, to some extent, mm-hmm. it's there are sacrifices and there's consequences. You know, I mean, you don't just that it wasn't wasn't pretty. You don't just come waltz back in there, get your place back, and shove them out. A lot of a lot of stuff went down. You know, people died, and uh, there will be future consequences for Cisco and so forth. So, so for me, that's what I think of: trade offs, sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Caesar. Um. Faith comes to mind. There's a lot of faith in Cisco in the in these two episodes. First off, his you know favor the bold that plan. You know we hear him at the end of the episode. That's that's as close as you'll get to a to a prayer in Star Trek is you know them saying something like that. Um, well, I don't know. Once he gets into the wormhole, he literally asks <laughs> God for help. That, that's <laughs> but, but, but when you're when you're standing in front of a God, it's easier to ask him <laughs> yeah, instead of. True, true. <laughs> um, so and then yeah, but then when he is in the wormhole, he does he puts a lot of faith in in the in the wormhole gods. I mean, so I don't know. Like you said, there's there's so much in these two episodes, and obviously the the these last six that we've seen. That um, but that's just one of the things that come to mind. I mean, we could talk about probably about several meanings from these episodes. Um, but that's one that just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like both those guys. That's very good. <laughs> 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 and good night. <laughs> no, well, I tell you, my favorite moment of either of these episodes is that that moment where um, Rom and Kira are trying to deactivate the um, weapon system on the on the station at the same time that the Defiant is flying in to hopefully destroy the whatever it was that they're trying to destroy us. Either of these activities that would prevent the Dominion from bringing the, the minefield down, and they're both just barely too late. Mm-hmm. And what does Cisco do? He take us into the wormhole. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure what he thought he was going to do in there. He didn't go in there thinking he was going to talk to the prophets when they mm-hmm. when they pulled him into a vision. He wanted them to let him get out so that he could, you know, mm-hmm. fight. Um, so. I don't know how many ships he thought, you know, maybe he was going to take, just take a few down. Obviously it was certain death for him to mm-hmm. fight thousands of ships, this little confined space, but um, I guess he figured there was nowhere to go. So yeah, what do you go do? ahead on go in there. Maybe we'll get an idea, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you know that, and that, that kind of sums up both of these things you guys are both talking about, you know, the, the favor, the bold and the sacrifice of angels. Um, it's kind of it's kind of all in there, and I like that. And again, um, you know, I'm I'm probably more partial to the uh, the consequences side. You know, the sacrifice. Um, like I said, with Zial, there's someone that sacrifices their life, or their life has to be sacrificed. Um, but also, you know, Cisco. This this is such an important, significant thing. Um, this this says that no matter how much success. We see in the future, Cisco will not get to enjoy it. It is not. Mm-hmm. It is no longer it, part of his fate. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's more. We even see Odo sacrifice because he, you know, he sacrifices his link, link to the link, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To stay. So. <sighs> so, I'll tell you one thing too. Uh, this made me excited to see uh, Waltz. The episode with Ducat that's a few episodes away. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. So, 
Moving on to... Six degrees for Favor the Bold and Sacrifice of Angels. Oh, golly. Adam. Yep. Andrew Palmer plays the Jemadar guard that refuses to let Kira and Quark see Odo. In Voyager's seventh season in the episode Unimatrix Zero Part Two, he plays a Borg drone that attacks the Borg queen when she discovers she can no longer hear his thoughts, indicating that he was one of the Borg involved with Unimatrix Zero. What is Unimatrix Zero? Um, is that the Unimatrix Zero? <laughs> uh, I want to say it's that little matrix that um, 709 had with those other Borg, but I'm probably wrong. Where there was just a group of them on that planet, but I'm thinking I'm wrong. Yeah, that you you are you are correct. I'm thinking you are not correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's my best guess. Yep, Steve. Oh boy. Um, I know. It's the same thing for me. It's like it's such a generic sounding name, but once I tell you what it is, you're going to be, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was a two parter, the, the conclusion yeah. of the sixth and the beginning of the seventh, I think. Season. Right, right. I, I remember vaguely. Um, um, is it. Is it basically kind of the the home base of the Borg or something, or is that something else in the other twice? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay, I don't know. It was a virtual reality that select Borg inhabited during their regeneration cycles. Oh yeah, they, they were know. independent again. Yeah, I just I just remembered in the middle of um, Steve's answer. <laughs> uh, Steve, yes. All right, I'm, all, I'm almost out of time here. I think not our next podcast, but the one after that, we're going to be doing Far Beyond the Stars, so I'm getting in my last couple. J.G. Yeah. Hertzler returns as Martok, and he owes Cisco a barrel of blood wine for getting to DS9 just after Cisco liberates it. In Benny's vision of 1950s New York, in the DS9 episode Far Beyond the Stars, he plays Rory Ritterhouse. What was Ritterhouse's position? Okay. Um... I tried today to make harder questions because everybody was getting them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, he was a writer for the paper too. I don't uh, know, no. Mr. Caesar. Was he um, an artist? Like you the, are correct. He was the illustrator. <laughs> he drew that like you know the station, right? Looking, yep, yep. Version of the station that was cool. All right. Uh, so what is that? Caesar's got one, right? Yes. Yep. You are cordially invited. Season 6, Episode 7, Production Number 531. Original air date, November 10th, 1997. Written by Ronald D. Moore. Directed by David Livingston. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include J.G. Hertzler as Martok. Mark Warden as Alexander Roshenko. Shannon Cochran as Sorella. Chase Masterson as Lita. Aaron Eisenberg as Nog. Max Gradanchik as Rom. And Sidney Leofau as Lieutenant Manuel Etoa. With war still raging throughout the galaxy and life returning to normal on Deep Space Nine, Worf and Dax resume planning their long-awaited wedding. But when they learn Alexander will soon be transferred to a new ship, they decide to have their wedding within a week. The station and crew are all excited, but will they survive a Klingon wedding? She mocks everything, while I take everything seriously. She is nothing like the woman I thought I would marry. 
We are not accorded the luxury of choosing the women we fall in love with. Well, you know, deprivation, blood, pain, sacrifice, anguish, and death, <laughs> that actually is like a bachelor party that I went to once. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, but, um, hmm. <laughs> Did Caesar. you just get the beaten stick? <laughs> Caesar, why don't you start us off on this one? Um, this is a fun episode. I guess we're, this was a good good place to put this episode. I thought you know we had some we had a basically a roller coaster ride the last several episodes. So this I thought this was a nice place to put this in the, this episode. I, I have a few little problems with it towards the end, but overall I I dug it. I, it still holds up for me. Um, it's funny. Um, yeah, two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get one thing out of the way on this. Um, so that we can focus on the, you know, the wedding and stuff. So in this episode, <clears throat> um, Kira and Odo are forced to deal with the the things that have happened in the last few episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, the the big schism that they had because of <laughs> of um, him temporarily siding with uh, with the female changeling and not being there for her and practically giving them the alpha quadrant. But he came back, right? Anyway, <laughs> so unfortunately, in this episode through a series of, you know, they planned to do it one way and then um, different writers and actors objected to certain things and then they changed up at the last minute and then they ran out of time, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> Odo and Kira uh, dealing with that amounts to nothing. <laughs> finding them in the closet in the morning after they've had the conversation and, oh, we're okay now, so let's, well, we've got to go back to work. <clears throat> so that was yeah, the point. That was one of the problems. And the other problem I had was um they never had, you know, were with Dax and I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, the Klingon. C- had, C- 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 yeah, yeah. So the last time we see him, you know, getting into a fight and the next time they're together is at the wedding. Like how did that It always know, felt it did always feel like that actually bothered me almost more than the Otokir thing because it always feels like I, they missed a scene, like I missed a scene. On the other hand, I don't know that we really need it because we know exactly what's going to happen in that scene. Right. So even if we just say it's going to happen, that's probably good enough. Um, um, but it is it is kind of disjointed. It feels like it should be there. Um, yeah, it messes with it, I think, because they built it up so much. They had like these these scenes where they're so aggressive towards each other. There's more than one. There's like three, I believe. And then it culminates in, you know, a yeah, nice it's hard fight. to imagine, uh, you know, her and Sorella literally trading blows. And then the next time we see them together... You know, she she's says, performing the wedding. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think it's this kind of stuff is a fine line. I think uh, sometimes it's time, but a lot of times it's just the, the writers make a decision, sometimes correctly, sometimes not, that it's best just to let us imagine it. And the putting in the words and seeing the scene is either tiresome or just really hard to do and they could not live up to any kind of expectations. So you just kind of like, okay, something happened well, there. It you does, know what I mean? It does seem like. We've seen that kind of scene before, and it's just un, and it's unnecessary. It's just that when when you're you're used to a certain series of events, and they you know mm-hmm. they take a piece out, it it feels like that piece is missing. Even though maybe I didn't need to actually see it, I'm just not used to seeing it skipped over. I guess. Right. Right. <clears throat> All that said, for me, I like this episode, and I have I have fond memories of this episode. <laughs> you know, I. This and believe me, this is not the kind of thing you hear me say on this podcast. But like my favorite thing from this episode are the costumes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like costumes and all, but have you ever heard me say that the most memorable thing to me from an episode that I like 
are the costumes. It sounds like no. it would be an insult for me. I'm not yeah, a yeah. costume mm-hmm. guy. But I love the costume. I love their wedding outfits. I don't yeah. know. Do you guys remember going to um, uh, um, the experience in Vegas? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Um, and they had, I think it was in the, the, the line... The final line when, when you you know you go through the museum, yeah. you went through the museum and then you got in line for the actual rides and it was in the the rides line where they had um, both of their outfits you know on these big mannequins and stuff behind glass. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful and it was gorgeous and it was just as great in person. Usually these things are not as good in person. You know it's like oh well you know cinema trickery it looks better and the lights blah 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 but no they looked just as magnificent to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and then. That we we don't get to see, we don't get to see ceremony very often. In the next episode we're going to discuss. I think it was the first time we saw that much of a Bajoran ceremony, and it was still it was seconds, right? Mm-hmm. This episode we see a Klingon wedding. How mm-hmm. cool is that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, that's yeah. like the most ceremony we've seen since I don't know the first movie with with Spock on Vulcan or something. <laughs> it's 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 cool, and it's and it lives up to what I would hope it would be. Um, and I enjoy the episode for that. And I love that they do not skimp on it. I love that it's not, you know, cut short. I love that um, everybody's there and in the costumes and blah, blah, blah. So I dig it. Um, Steve, yeah, what's your favorite I- thing about this episode? Besides the costumes, or <laughs> um, yeah, I, I too like this episode a lot. Um, I don't know. I think I, I enjoyed it in general. How they it just seemed, <laughs> it seemed uh, well balanced. I mean, I think you'd, you, if you said this episode is going to be about them getting married, I think that you you could easily be in a situation where you'd have a whole lot of filler leading up to a wedding, you know, or some, you know, and it'd just be tiresome. But they actually do a lot of things and of course that struggle with you know Dax and Sorella is a big part of all of that yeah. but uh, I think the the way they you know the the fun stuff and the comedy like with the the bachelor party so-called bachelor party that the guys yeah. were in and then the, what what Dax decided to do you know all this kind of playing off each other and you know there was just a lot of stuff going on that there was fun and there was also seriousness you know when it came down to Worf and Dax ready to call it off and how they resolved it you know so I think it's, it just was well balanced in that respect that's it yeah, it had a little bit of everything. There was a little bit of everything in this episode that you could take out and like, um, for sure. Why? Let me ask this. Why was um, so Dax was really being confrontational with Martok's wife the whole mm-hmm. time. I mean, she really was. Um, that that seemed a little bit weird to me. Like, and, and then I understand, I, and I like very much that it's Cisco. You know, her old friend Cisco who mm-hmm. has to come and talk to her, um, and the implication is. She was so being so confrontational because she didn't think she should have to go through this since she has such a history with yeah. um, the Klingons. Um, you know, and then Cisco reminds her, well, that wasn't you. That was, you know, another host. But it it did always seem um, it's like abrasive that she was, she really was confrontational. I mean, it doesn't seem like Sorella was actually being, um, unusual for a Klingon. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like Jadzia was being unusual for Jadzia. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I, th- I think that gets explained with the Cisco scene at the yeah. end. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think even I was watching this and I was a little bit confused by that, but I'm, then you, it's been a while since I've seen the episode, obviously, but yeah, that whole scene with Cisco towards the end, um, 
kind of clarifies what she was going through in her head. So, and then maybe kind of a sore spot for a little bit. You know, she's one. Of the, she might be a little bit of that character type type of character where doesn't like disrespect kind of you know it's like i'm not gonna bow down for people and things like this you know and so that that's basically and you know that that whole that whole thing is very um it's a it's a familiar thing for many people i mean you know uh entering in a new family or whatever people don't always get along and at some point or another you either have to you know say okay we have a confrontation here and we we just don't get along or don't see each other or you have to make compromises and cave a bit or whatever in order to keep peace and to have for your mate to be happy and all this kind of stuff so you know it's it's interesting i i uh, <clears throat> I, I agree steve with you talking about the uh, the balance is is so well done um especially it i like that overall the episode is overall it is light and even it's more serious stuff, like let's say the discussion between Cirella and Dax, mm-hmm. is still it's still relatively light, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's and it feels right um, in the series because we just had those six heavy episodes. Yeah, you yeah. Know? We had that big arc, and then we had have this wedding episode, um, and it's it's kind of the right time for it, and it's the right amount of levity. And it feels, it feels, you know, honest. Um, and then, of course, <clears throat> we have the super light stuff with, you know, the Bachelor, uh, part of it, <laughs> which it does make me laugh. There are several scenes in there that makes me laugh. You know, when 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 and um, Bashir is saying, "I'm going. I've had a vision. I'm I'm going to kill Orf." You know? <laughs> or the the funniest part to me, the part that it makes really does make me chuckle every time, is at the end when he's so like antsy to get to hit him yeah. with those sticks. Yeah. Now, no, now. <laughs> I got to say that was probably the most. Um realistic meal i've ever seen that the one that o'brien and bashir ordered you know it was steak it was like normal looking human food it was like usually you see you know yeah they didn't have to spend hours making up alien foods (laughs) i think i think they just added bajoran shrimp that was the only thing kind of alien about it Mm -hmm. but it, it looked pretty tasty uh, and the frustration you can you can understand O'Brien and Bashir the frustration I mean you know there's a week out of this crazy battle where there all this stuff's going on and they get there oh we get a, a party you know and it's gonna last several days and we're gonna let loose and they get there and it's like oh good great grief here we go again with the you would Klingon stuff or whatever if it was me I'd be like you know I've had enough experiences I'm just gonna type this in real quick and check <laughs> what happens to the Klingon whoa. Okay. Okay. You know what I'm going to do before I go? I'm going to eat a lot. <laughs> yeah. Imagine you know you can imagine they probably were like they probably didn't eat anything. You're like, oh, we're going to a party. We're going to have dinner. We're going to drink. I don't need to yeah. eat." They probably were starving when they got there initially. See your yep. research for agreeing to the Klingon festivities or whatever. Four days of fasting. See, I see. Us. See, all O'Brien would say, well, you didn't tell me it was going to be like this. I'm going to eat, and then I'll fast. Think about the practicality of the whole thing, too. They go through this, and then he's got to stand up there, get married, and then what, go on a honeymoon or what? You know, after you've fasted and, you know. Yeah, gone, and I'm not sure how. Well, well, a human might have a problem, but I think a yeah, could yeah. 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 perform okay. Um, what's this episode about, guys? Acceptance. Oh yeah, Mark Talk still loves his wife even when she says you've put on weight. 
<laughs> those scenes were great with those two. Magnificent. <laughs> he's so, and he's so scared of her when he's like, oh, yeah. God. Warp was like saying, I'm going to go talk to her. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. That's, a, that's something I should mention. You know, uh, Ron Moore has talked about in my, my research for this episode. Ron Moore has talked about how, you know, everybody thinks of him as the Klingon guy because he brought so much to the Klingon culture during Next Gen, mm-hmm. but how he always felt it was a little bit mistake of a mistake the way that um, he relegated Klingon women to serving no purpose. Um, because of some of the writing that he had done in Next Gen. So this was his chance, as he said, to rectify that problem by uh, making the Klingon woman you know, the head of the home and actually giving yeah. that unchallenged power. And that scene, the, the best scene for that, the, the scene that, that does the most for the Klingon woman in this episode does not have a woman in it. To me, it's that scene. This is me talking, not Ron Moore. Um, uh, the scene between, you know, when... Um, Worth asked Martok to intervene and to uh, tell Cirella um, to, I don't know, go easy on Dax or something. And he says, nope, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. saying a word to her, you know. <laughs> and it's very effective and it's very well written and it's a great scene. And it really, it really you know, shows um, how much power uh, she has as the head of the Klingon home. Mm-hmm. Then we then we see the softer side of him later on in the in the episode when he goes to talk to him about Sorella and why he loves her and why he's with her. Uh, that, that's the scene. I'm. Oh no, you're right. You're right. That's the earlier scene, right? But okay. So now that you've mentioned that scene, um, for me, with this episode, I I liked it. I like it when 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 a character has a line that is what I'm already thinking the episode is about. You know. Now this episode, it's a bit of a stretch to to really even pick this sort of thing for what it's about, but cause you know, again, it's got a different things going on, but I, I like, I like two lines that are in that scene. <clears throat> um, you know, well, one in particular, I'll just talk about, you know, Martok has the line, you know, we're not afforded the luxury of deciding who we fall in love with. <coughs> and then he talks about, you know, his, like you meant, Adam, you just said, you know, his feelings for her. For his wife, um, and when Worf talks about it, anybody can see that we're hopelessly mismatched. Well, you know, he obviously loves Dax, and in all of Star Trek, for me, we we've seen relationships between some primary characters and some you know not primary characters. We've seen the beginnings of relationships, things that never worked out that I actually kind of wanted to. I would have loved to have seen the doctor get with 709 on Voyager instead of 709 getting with Chakotay, for example. You know, there's, of all of Star Trek, this relationship here and now, Dax and Worf, is the greatest one for me because it's the one where I really believe that these characters love each other. And I believe that they got here in an honest way, you know, and it's very fulfilling to me to see them, to see them get married. And, even when Worf says that line, anyone can see that we're hopelessly mismatched. You can tell that he knows that really doesn't matter. <laughs> he knows that all that matters is that he, he loves her. And as Martok points out, that's what matters. You don't have any say over this sort of thing. Be thankful that, that you feel this love and you've made a mistake walking away from her and you need to go get her back right now. 
and uh, and I believe it, and that's and that's why it's the best Star Trek relationship. But not just that, but you know, just about the best you know narrative TV relationship thing I can name that I and I really love that. Mm-hmm. Anything? Bueller? So it's about so it's about love, right, Brian? It's about how much oh. I love my fellow podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> my question, why didn't Garrick tailor the dress? Even though it was magnificent, I think Gar- Garrick should have tailored the dress. You should have a scene in there for that. <laughs> you guys, what do you guys got for what it's about? Uh, well, I know uh, Adam said acceptance for a moment there, and then we moved on to other stuff. But yeah, kind of in there, in that thing, basically... Uh, you know, true love and what one will do and what one will, um, you know, compromise and such for, for that. Caesar, anything else you want to say for what it's about before we move on? No, I think we've covered, covered it pretty well. Okay. Six degrees for you are cordially invited. You are cordially invited to six degrees. That's that's (laughs) smarter for me to say. All right. So again, I'm continuing with my, Tough questions. <laughs> Caesar, right. you're in the lead, right? You have one. Yes. You want to go first or second? I'll go first. Shannon Cochran plays Sorella, the head of the House of Martok, that forces Jadzia to prove her worth. In Next Gen's seventh season, she played a McKee fighter in the episode Preemptive Strike. In this episode, Rolaren leaves the Enterprise and defects. Name the following episode of The Next Generation. The <laughs> The episode right after that one. <laughs> that is correct. Name the episode that took that was that was uh, right after Preemptive Strike. Uh, <laughs> First, I have to think of seventh season episodes and just kind of pick one out. Um, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I can't even think. I'm gone blank. It's all yours, Stephen. Is Steve. it uh, all good things? You are correct. All good things because Preemptive Strike was the last episode of the series proper before the finale. Uh, now you're one to one, Steve. Yes. In the film Star Trek Nemesis, Cochran also played the Romulan Talora. She kills everyone in the Senate so that Shinz- so that uh, Shinzon can take over using a small version of the large weapon on Shinzon's ship. Name the weapon. Oh yeah. Um. I wouldn't have gotten this one, actually. I gotta say, I had to look it up. <laughs> yeah, I know it's gonna sound familiar once I hear it, but yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm gonna be able to to come up with it. No. You know what? Do you know it, Caesar? No. Gamma ray. Uh, back to Steve. I'll give you one hint. The second word is generator. No. Uh, no. <laughs> that do anything for you? No. No. Sorry. Thaleron generator. <laughs> mm, wow. Okay. I knew it was some sort of like. Radiation that dissolved people, but yep, yep, about all. All right, so we're at one to one, right? Yep. And uh, Resurrection, season six, episode eight, production number five thirty-two. Original air date November seventeenth, nineteen ninety-seven. Written by Michael Taylor, directed by Lavar Burton. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include John Toey as Vedic Osan, Philip Anglum as Burrell Antos, and Scott Strozier as security guard. When a stranger beams aboard the station and takes Kira hostage, she is shocked to see that he looks exactly like her dead love, Vedic Burrell. He reveals that he is Burrell, the mirror universe version, anyway, and he is running from the evil alliance of his universe. 
Kirif refuses to press charges after he's, after he's captured and finds herself attracted to them. Even though he is nothing like her Beryl, can she trust him and can they build a relationship together? You know what I saw when I looked into that orb? You and me, together, on Bajor. We had a life, a family. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Nothing. Might even work for a while. This is one of these policy things where why would they not, like if somebody just happens to be beaming into the thing, they don't put a force field up and wait for him to identify himself and all, you know, I mean, I understand for the narrative of the yes. story, but wow, that's <laughs> dumb. You know, it's so dumb. Well, I was, I was surprised that you would, you would expect people to be, to run up there and pull out phasers. I don't know if people walk around the bridge wearing phasers, actually during a war, maybe they do, but, um, I would expect people to go up there and pull out phasers or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's what, that's right off the bat. It starts off. It starts off. You're going what? <laughs> I, I had to. I, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't like this episode that much. So I made myself think. Of, what if he had come when the Cardassians were still there? You know, when that was still occupied by the Dominion. He's didn't come a few days earlier, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. I gotta go. <laughs> well, Kira still would have been there. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> but they probably would have. In fact, they probably would have just fired right into the, yeah, the trans shot him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, which, we'll leads to, which leads us to the second problem. How did the um, other Kara get there without anybody knowing? I mean, did she beam? I don't. I, they never quite explained that how she got there. I mean, you can just kind of use your imagination. My imagination was is that she beamed onto a ship that went to the station, and I don't know. He noticed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know. She wore a veil while she was somehow, walking around. She somehow seduced herself on. I don't know exactly how, but that's what, yeah. Well, you know, the, here a couple, let me say a couple things I like about this episode. One, I like that it's a mirror episode without the mirror universe. I mean, I like the mirror universe, yeah. but I think it's kind of cool that they effectively gave me that mirror universe feeling without going there. That was kind of neat, and it was neat to do it in a different way, yeah. Um, two... I like that it's I like that after seven big episodes we get this nice small one um this nice small character kind of episode I I enjoy that actually it was a nice change of pace especially when you're doing like we're doing and you know watching the series these episodes nearly back to back um it felt good you know we need some contrast in that and three here's the last thing well actually I should say four because number four would just be Anytime I get to see the intendant, it's nice. <laughs> Number three would be, uh, um, what's his name? Philip Anglim. His mm-hmm. performance, his burial is great. It feels like a different burial right from the beginning. It feels mm-hmm. like a different burial. And I always, I always really like that. I like that. Um, I mean, I know, Hey, that's acting, but, um, anytime they do that, just like, um, Nana, of course, always brilliant. And in this episode, even when she's wearing Kira's clothes, I can tell who she is because mm-hmm. she's she's great. Um, but I, I really respect that when these, you know, subtle differences can make can have such a huge difference on the way the character feels. I think that's cool. Um, I would agree with you. My problem with this episode is why did they go here? It just seemed kind of out of place, especially for what we saw in the last episode and cordially invited. We had this whole scene, whole non-scene with Odo and Kira, and there's obviously been some 
some stuff going on between them. And I, I just, it just seemed weird to go to do this. I don't, like I said, I agree with you about the performances. I mean, the writing's not bad. It's, it's on its, if you just take it and you take it away, take it, take this episode and take it away from this timeline that we're in. I probably wouldn't have as much a problem with it as I do now. Maybe if it was an episode in last season, but it just seemed out of place to, to go back to this. With uh, one comment else I had about that. So, um, Nana felt the same way you did. You know, she complained at the time a little bit mm-hmm. um, that she felt like <clears throat> specifically Kira was way over Beryl and that she'd already dealt with these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see that. Personally, I actually like <clears throat> the scene. I think it's the scene after they've spent the night together and she's talking about Beryl and, you know, she says, you know, I would have given my life to save his. And she talks about him for a little bit. Um, We talk about how for this show, for all Star Trek, you know, we, we want consequence and we don't get it a lot. Um, And here we are a long time after Beryl has died and she's still talking about how it's affected her. And I understand Nana saying that she felt like it was ancient history, but it almost it felt kind of honest to me in that <clears throat> you're that close to someone, you love someone, and they die, you know that's going to affect you for the rest of your life, certainly for mm-hmm. extremely, you know, for a few sure. years to come. So I would agree, I but that's not why they did this episode. It was just a consequence of it, but. Um, I like that they did that as well. What were you going to say, Caesar? I was going to say they didn't have to do a whole episode to get that. They didn't have to have this whole, you know, to get that scene that you were talking about, they didn't have to do... Yeah, um, it could have been this, one, one scene. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I, I don't, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, would, you know, and we'll get into these conversations more down the road. If, if Deep Space Nine, could, could an, a series like Deep Space Nine work today? And I don't, my answer would be right now, kind of like, no, because of episodes like this, where it's just, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It worked very well back then, and it still works for me now. But you have these episodes that kind of just take you out of everything. And I think there was other places they could have went. And I'll give you an example. Um, Cisco and um, his relationship where is that? I mean, we don't, they could have went there with, if they wanted to do a kind of a relationship episode, they could have went there and you would have liked that less. I'd like to point out. <laughs> well, you know what? I might, I'm, I'm, I like it less now. I liked it maybe yeah. more. It would my problem, my whole problem with that relationship is that they didn't explore it enough. They just kind of like glossed over that. relationship. So, so just to clarify, you're not necessarily complaining that they've left the, Dominion cold, not Cold War anymore, Hot War, <laughs> that they've left the Dominion arc or any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's just that this, not even, are you upset that it was a relationship kind of episode? It's that specifically right now is the wrong time for Kira to have a relationship. Well, especially... I, I understand that. that. I'm, just, I'm just asking, is that... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say yes, especially when you had this whole... This, we, we talked about it just a few minutes ago about Odo and Kira yeah. having this long conversation. They could have had an episode about that. They could have done a whole episode. I think that if she had that. not slept with him in this episode, that I think that's, that's what makes it feel like too much to me. That's what makes me overall not care for this episode is because she goes too far too fast with him. Now, I understand... 
if someone that you really loved and that you were so intimate with mm-hmm. died and then all of a sudden someone walks into your life that looks exactly like them, you know, it would be very easy to um, <clears throat> uh, misplace all these feelings or just, mm-hmm. just to think, you know, I just want to feel that way with someone again and, um, and, and, and jump right into something. I can kind of see that, but this episode would have worked a lot. Yeah. In the context of her with, with things that have happened with Odo, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem fair because she sleeps with him. It's too much mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Like I said, this episode would have worked uh, a lot better if it was a season or two ago, but just, uh, just you know, for what, what the, what they've come up with. Well, no, this, to this, this point, kind of, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, this kind of talking, I was kind of shoulda, woulda, coulda stuff. But I think, I think what might have helped is instead of maybe a little less time on this, this almost gets like you know, there is almost like there's no B story. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. And in this one, and it, and so what seems like a bit of a bit um, a bit of an anomaly in the midst of everything isn't is emphasized because of that. And I think maybe if there was some a little bit of what's going on with the war, kind of something as a B story to cut back to a little bit. Um, I know that might seem out of place with this kind of story but maybe that would help um, you know keep it feel like not feel like we're taking so much out of this and it almost feels anachronistic or something so you know i said plenty of positive things but <clears throat> overall you know i think i i agree with well certainly caesar and it sounds like steve you're saying the same thing that that i don't particularly care for this episode um and it's funny too because i remembered liking it until I watched it again <laughs> for this podcast. I remember like, I remember the, oh, that, that episode where it starts off with all of a sudden Barile's alive. I remember kind of liking that episode, but I didn't much care for it here. Um, so, um, what do we have for what this is about? Now, I mentioned a second ago about how the, how you would misplace those feelings if if someone you felt that strongly about died and then all of a sudden somebody looked just like him. I mean, I think you can have there have been practical effects and things like that in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. um, even just someone who mannerisms is just like someone or who looks like them, or maybe more fair to say, you know, a relative of someone. You know, we've seen those sorts of things happen um, where <clears throat> it's not fair uh, to do it, but we um, place certain values on on people because of because of you know someone they're related to or someone just someone they look like or or whatever, um, and kind of the 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 problems that can happen. I, I don't think that this episode really successfully um, deals with those questions, but maybe it was starting to ask those. I'm I'm not sure. What do you guys? Well, I th- think? Yeah, I think um, if I had to come up with something, what's about, and yeah, I agree, it's it's not like a really strong kind of, you know, it's not a strong episode, and it's hard to nail down exactly something, but it's a little bit also like just just people that maybe like you were in a relationship in the past and then you, you know, you, maybe you get, you know, it's, it's kind of like the situation where you still run across that person or whatever. And then that idea of it can never quite be the same, you know, trying to, it's like trying to, because, because people change. I mean, we don't have a mere universe where someone, you know, comes in and they look just like someone that we were with or whatever, but people do change over time. And it's always, it's that kind of thing where you meet up with someone you haven't seen in a while, whatever, so to me, that's kind of what it's about. It's a little mm-hmm. bit of you you can't turn back the clock. You know, people change, people either m- just move in different ways. And so if you 
come back together, you're going to find, hey, you know, this is it's not the same. And maybe Kira wouldn't have, you know, Kira's a, a bright girl and she probably would have seen through what he was up to if it were not for um, yeah. those feelings that she had for Beryl. Mm-hmm. Caesar, you got anything? Um, I really, I, I like the end scene, especially because the intendant, they're mm-hmm. both there. And um, the the little speech Beryl gave at the end, you know, he's like, I'm, 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 a th- I'm a, you know, he kind of, I think from that experience that he had with the orb, he, it, he realized who he was and um, he knew, you know, he, he couldn't lie to her anymore. So mm-hmm. I really, I mean, as much as I didn't like this episode, <laughs> I like that scene, that whole end scene. It's a great performance by all involved. And mm-hmm. um, I kind of take from that as like um, finding, finding your own truth about yourself, I guess. Maybe that's a stretch, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see how much truth we can find. <laughs> Six degrees for resurrection. Uh, what is our score again? One to one? One, one, one yeah. One, one. All right, Steve. <laughs> yes. Of course, this is your question. Michael Dorn has played Worf more than any other actor has appeared in Star Trek. Uh, in Benny's vision of 1950s New York in the DS9 episode Far Beyond the Stars, he plays baseball player Willie Hawkins. For what team does Hawkins play? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I vaguely remember this. It's just been too long. It's been too long. Um, shouldn't, it shouldn't be hard to take a guess for this one anyway. Okay, okay. Um... How about Brooklyn Dodgers? No, Mr. Caesar. It's not the Dodgers. Oh, that's what was my guess would have been. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to. The Yankees are too obvious, but I can't think of any other team around in New York at the time. So I'm going to say the Yankees. The New York Giants. Giants. Ah, damn it! The other one. <laughs> damn those Giants! <laughs> All right. Caesar, this is your chance to take it. <laughs> Philip Anglum plays the Mirror Universe version of Baral Antos. He also played a character on Star Trek Deep Space Nine named Baral that was not from the Mirror Universe. In what season was that character last seen? In what season did uh, Prime Baral die? Um, that would be... Oh, first off, um, Stephen and I should both be embarrassed for missing that last question because we're both big baseball fans. <laughs> um, I'm going to say season three. You are correct. It was season three. Mm-hmm. All right. You won for the day. Look at that. <laughs> Low score. Like a baseball score. Yeah. It's a pitcher's <laughs> duel. Uh, so, again, sorry about my, my throat and my coughing, everyone at home. Um, we're going to see you guys back in a couple weeks. And uh, I looked at the schedule. Like next week, we're going to, you know, a couple weeks, we're going to do the next four episodes, and they're great. And then a couple weeks after that, we're going to finally get up to Far Beyond the Stars. Excited about that. Um, we want to wish happy birthday to uh, Trechnologic Podcast. They, uh, they just turned one, and they did hit their 50th episode. And uh, we are looking forward to hitting our 50th someday, <laughs> oh, being geezers in the podcast world. Um, also... <coughs> Excuse me. If um, we're we're going to be forced to find uh, a new host for our podcast here within the next couple of months, if any of our listeners have any suggestions, send us an email. I, I'm I'm looking for a new place to host our podcast. Uh, you can send us that email along with any other thoughts you may have to trekcompanion at gmail dot com. 
You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion or at Trek Companion on Twitter. Um, the greatest thing you could do would be to leave us a review on iTunes. That would be incredibly helpful. And uh, until next time, take it easy. Good night, guys. See you.